Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the RIA Edge podcast, where we talk to leaders of registered investment advisory firms that are, in our estimation, growing by design and not by default, and try to get at how they make that happen. In this episode, I had the chance to speak with Lisa Salvi, Managing Director at Schwab Advisor Services. Lisa heads up Schwab's practice management consultancy and puts together the firm's annual RIA benchmarking study, which has some very interesting data on how the most successful advisory firms manage their business, how they think about human capital, and what levers they're pushing to create sustainable, growing businesses with the most efficiency. This conversation took place at Schwab's recent Impact Conference, so apologies for any background noise, but I enjoyed the conversation, and I think you'll find it useful. Thank you for listening. No, this is great. Uh, so, uh, Lisa Salvi, uh, Managing Director and Head of Consulting at Schwab Advisor Services, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, this conference is always so such a whirlwind, such a, a, a large, energetic, a lot, you know, in two days. Just, can I just maybe ask you first to just sort of reflect on this conference a little bit as one of the organizers and... Uh, you know, how you see the opportunity here or, you know, what's... We kind of say that impact is like our Super Bowl, right? It's like a three-day shot of adrenaline because you get to run into so many advisors you've known for years, colleagues that you haven't seen for a while, industry players and exhibitors, people like you. And it's just the greatest to get to walk around and feel the energy, the connections happening. We have students here from 20 universities, about 80 students with their faculty members. We had a career fair earlier today. You can just see the connections happening. That can only happen when you bring people together that lead to so many wonderful things in the future, whether it's a new consulting engagement my team might help a firm with or a job opportunity that could really change a young person's life. It's fantastic. Uh, A lot going on here for sure. Um, you know, before we get into the, the conversation, maybe for folks who don't know who are listening, maybe just take a minute to talk about your role here at Schwab and, and how you see what you do. And We have about 80 people across the country who work with advisory firms every single day. They work with firms of all sizes. We do one-on-one consultations on things like growth strategy, talent strategy, succession planning, cybersecurity. We also have three unique teams that work with prospects who are thinking of going independent. And we lead a lot of the thought leadership, our industry-leading benchmarking study, and a lot of talent programs at universities across the country where we're really trying to create a lot of awareness and a pipeline of high-quality, diverse talent for advisory firms to hire. Because they really need to hire a lot of talent to keep up with the amazing growth they continue to have. It is a, uh, a theme that, I, that comes up with every advisor that I talk to. Yes. Uh, the, the, the war for talent or the hunt for talent or just not being able to find people to hire. Um, and so many of them who uh, have a growth strategy feel like they are kind of catching up with the talent, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so maybe talk a little bit about the, the, the pool for talent in this industry broadly. Uh, I know Schwab does a good job of bringing in some of the colleges and universities, but, but broadly, how is talent, personal development happening in the RIA? 
You're absolutely right. It's hard to have any conversation with an advisor without talent coming up. It's one of the top priorities for firms, according to our benchmarking study, recruiting talent. It goes growth and then talent. So those two themes are top of the list. And then interestingly, we've also seen the desire to develop existing talent raise four spots in terms of top priorities in the past few years. So firms are really interested not only in bringing in great talent, but developing that talent, keeping that talent, and helping that talent thrive so that they propel that next cycle of growth within the firm. Uh, Broadly, to answer your question, there's so much growth in the industry. The median firm, if their AUM growth rate continues for the next five years, the median firm is going to need to hire four more people in addition to any retirement or attrition that might happen. And top performing firms, which is a cohort of firms that have huge outperformance, they would need to hire eight new people. And the median firm today is about $455 million in AUM. So that's a significant number of headcount they need to bring in. And that's why we have a lot of the programs we have that not only help, help create awareness of the RA profession, but also help develop talent within firms. Uh, it's interesting. The, uh, all RAs are a little bit different, right? Who knows? That, uh, I, but through your benchmarking study, you do find some commonalities. And maybe you could just speak a little bit about the benchmarking study, you know, and, and what you're looking for there, and maybe some of the top-level findings that uh, are, are most relevant. Yeah, I would love to. So uh, we field our study between January and March of each year, and this year we had 1,300 firms who participated. That represents $1.7 trillion in assets under management. We're in actually the 17th year of doing the study, believe it or not. The number one reason we do it is to give those firms really deep insights back about how they perform relative to their peer group and what they need to prepare for next. But we also get some really great macro findings of trends in the industry. So some of the top line trends were that, I mean, it's no secret 2022 is a remarkably challenging year. The S&P 500 was down like 20%. Treasuries were off. Inflation, geopolitical, a lot of stuff that's continuing today. But despite that, advisors did increase their clients by 6.2% at the median, which is a good sign. And organic growth was pretty healthy. So for all firms over $250 million in AUM, organic growth was at 4.1%. But where I get really excited is when we start to look at the data and I look at that top performing firm cohort, and they had almost 11% organic growth. In 2022. In 2022, which is remarkable and enviable for like any business to have that type of a result. And they do it because they're very disciplined with the way they approach their business. And so it's been very fascinating as we've quantified who's a top performing firm, that it's firms of all sizes at all ages in their maturity. So some really new firms and some really tenured firms. It's not just the big firms having that result. And what that helps us do is isolate some of the practices that those firms put into place that lead to that level of performance. They get two times the revenue growth of all other firms in a five-year period, which and sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. And how are you defining the top cohort? Is that like a top quintile? Yeah. Top we isolated the top 15 metrics in benchmarking that, that have the most to do with long-term performance with working with our data scientist team and really looking at all this wealth of data we have. And we took all 1,300 firms who participated, the top 20% become the top performing firm cohort. So it's very interesting that even though there's growth metrics, do you have a healthy operating margin? Are you integrating your tech stack? They also do some things that are really, really important. Things like they have a written business plan, a written strategic business plan in place. 
They have defined and documented their ideal client persona and their client value proposition. And when you have those two things in place, plus a written marketing plan, we see year over year that you get about 40% more assets. So there's really quantifiable ways that we see those firms achieve that level of outperformance. And then we really love to work with firms on those things as well. So we have programs in place that help them with those things as well. Amazing how it almost seems obvious, right? Uh, you know, have a, have a plan, write yeah. it down. I, I imagine that there are better and not so good plans written down. You know, are there any kind of a commonalities that you find uh, like in those plans or some of these top performing firms? Uh, they have a documented process, but is that process more than just a sheet of paper or is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know? some firms think they have a plan, but it's really a list of annual goals. Right, right. And so we like to go a little bit deeper and define purpose, values, vision, SWOT analysis of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, and then really get into what those goals look like to deliver on their long-term objectives. It's partly the process, but it's also getting people in a room agreeing and to all kind of row the boat in the same direction. That is critical. And a lot of times it can be really valuable to have a third-party consultant in the room that can kind of unlock some of the questions that might be in people's minds so that they all get on the same page. And then the next thing I like to see firms do after they have their plan is assign owners to all those critical pieces and really be thinking to long-term, how do I want to develop my team? So maybe it's like you have a partner who's in charge of the overall goal, but they have a junior partner or someone on that partnership track who's really going to work outside of their day job to help deliver on whatever that goal might be. And that helps develop your team member in a whole new way outside of being a great client-facing manager or whatever their day job is. Helps them really start to develop that leadership acumen and that mindset of I'm responsible for helping to grow the firm over the long term. So that's really important. And then linking it to incentive compensation. So that's where I would say the master class comes in. And help me understand that because it makes a lot of sense that uh, intentional organizational structure yes. uh, is something that maybe most firms need help with, uh, you know, and can bring in a consultant to help with that. I imagine there's uh, more and less receptive to a lot of the suggestions. Uh, sometimes, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think sometimes it's really good consultants don't come in with the answer. They come in with great questions that help you figure out what your answer is, right? right? right. And Sometimes it's also just about alignment. So when everyone's agreed to these are our priorities, because there's so many, look around here, right? There's a thousand things you could focus on. I would rather see a firm go back and do one thing all the way than start seven things and not finish any of them. And so getting it down on paper, assigning accountability, and tying it to incentive compensation is a really good recipe. Might be a good point to talk a little bit about compensation. Are you seeing yeah. uh, changes in the way firms are structuring compensation and uh, and, and how so? There's a, a pretty good mix between base salary and incentive compensation. Most firms do use incentive compensation. The ones that use it the most effectively have tied it to really specific goals that are measurable, obviously. I know that's not rocket science, no. but not every firm well, does Well, not every firm. I yeah. imagine it's not every... Equity compensation and equity ownership is a really good piece to have in there. And we have seen a compensation increase, I would say about 5% across the board in about five years, but we'll be releasing more compensation findings from our compensation study in December where we'll be able to go a lot deeper on some of those findings. Interesting. The one part of organizational structure that uh, I think gets overlooked are these kinds of uh, career development programs. 
Uh, do you have any uh, insight into how advisory firms are doing with that? Uh, you know, the, the, just from the outsider's perspective, it looks like it's not well. But, uh, you know, maybe... Well, I, it is more of a focus for firms to develop their talent. I've seen some firms do some pretty remarkable things, like professional development hour every single week across the entire firm. And these are not small firms. So they're bringing together people who are telecommuting or in a hybrid work situation along with their senior partners. They kind of rotate responsibility. Uh, Young talent absolutely loves that sort of thing. They want to feel like they're getting exposure and they're getting to learn. It also is a good way to transmit culture, even if you're not in the same physical space, which is more and more of a concern for the C-suite of advisory firms. Mm -hmm. I like to see mentorship programs. That's not that hard to implement, but that really means a lot. There's a Harvard Business Review study that said people over 40 do tend to have a mentor that they can point to that was really transformational, but people under 40 don't. Interesting. And so that's something that can really stand out for, for advisors if they put it into place. And you can do it in a pretty easy way. I like to see firms who have a mentorship program and you're matched with someone for six months. So if you and I were matched together, we'd have a series of conversations for about six months and I would probably learn a ton from you and you'd probably learn a thing or two from me and we get to know each other and our perspectives and our roles better and then it would switch and you would continue to build those relationships that might not happen by the water cooler anymore. And I get from firms that when they have that in place and they put it in their employee value proposition, it helps them win. Like if someone's measuring two different job offers it's not the compensation only that matters it's the values of the firm it's the the program they have in place that helps develop the talent so that's a really good one to just think about implementing and and not as onerous as it might seem right and then on leadership development that's another big focus for firms we have a couple of programs to help with leadership development and Increasingly, I'm hearing from advisors that they're really focused on the kind of mid-level manager, the newer people leaders or people leaders that have been in that role for a little while, and they really want to invest in that level of talent within the firm as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we I know that we were talking about growth a little bit and, and how the top performers there have 2x the market growth and the qualities that they have in place that those ride alongside that growth in terms of intentional plan do you have any insights in terms of the actual boots on the ground marketing kind of stuff that they do, or the, you know, how, what are the what are the levers that they are pulling for achieving that growth? I and mean, we know yeah. that they have a documented plan and that they have the, you know, all the pieces in place. But is there any specifics that they're? Doing yeah, or? I mean, we would always say let's start by really looking at who you're building your business to serve. Who's your ideal client persona? I know every business should start there, but lots don't. Sure. So we're kind of on a mission that we want to help every firm put that into place. And I don't just mean like high level demographic information where it's assets and delegator and these things you would tend to hear. I mean, psychographic information. I mean, we're a family of two working parents in the tech industry and two children who are in private school and we're looking at college in the near future, have a second home in Tahoe and English is our second language. Like literally name that ideal client, write it down and make all of your business decisions through that, including your marketing strategy, not just your marketing strategy, but including your marketing strategy. And what we see happen, that's a real firm I just described. They have a three page document. I know what their dog's name is. (laughs) And what we see happen is that can supercharge all of your referrals because 
you're building this irresistible business for those clients and even your centers of influence or other people in the community will be like, I have another so-and-so client for you, you know, Smith client for you because they understand so well what you're, you've uniquely built your business to serve. That's interesting. I would think that most you know advisors, uh, they think that they're being specific when they say business owner. Yeah. You know. We want to go a lot deeper than that. We want to, we want, if you came to my firm and it was your first day, I want to hand you this document so you understand specifically who we're built, we've built our business to serve. And when you're making decisions, not just me as the you know founder of the firm, you're thinking, well, what would the Smith family want? And then that bleeds into everything. That's your tech stack, how you communicate, and then especially your marketing strategy. So if the Smith family is not going to listen to a radio show, don't do a radio show. But if they are going to be in the car going to you know soccer practice and band rehearsal every single day, maybe a great podcast is the way to go. And that's where you start to make the trade-offs between different marketing strategies. No matter what, though, I'll give you one just rule of thumb. Yep. That website should look pretty good. And people are going to go to your About Us page, so the story of why your firm exists, and your Bios page, like what makes your people special. Those are the top two pages they'll go to. So I would like every firm to think of that website not just as a way to serve your clients, but also as a way to serve your prospects. And having a careers page is really important. Because you want to also attract talent and they're going to research your firm online as their first step before they even decide to apply for a role. Interesting. I, I'm going to venture to say that most advisory firms do not have a careers page on their website. It's becoming more common. Okay. And as we're talking more about that employee value proposition I was talking about, yep. so that kind of wraps a lot of the themes that you and I are talking about together. You should be competitive on compensation and benefits and those types of things. And then you should have a couple programs or maybe one signature program that makes you stand out. So that could be that mentorship program we talked about, or it could be at Schwab, we have a sabbatical program. So if you're at Schwab for five years, you get a month off, a continuous four weeks. And so it's like free advertising on social media all the time because you always see Schwabies on these amazing trips. So if you're looking at a firm to join and you see that, that kind of makes you think you must have a pretty good culture. So I want to see firms have that career page, tell a really good story about why someone would maybe want to choose to work there. And if they've got a career path, put it on there. If they have a signature program, brand it, put it on the page. And then that will help you so much stand out and be your kind of calling card or your brand in the talent marketplace. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know, the you said that you some of these qualities of uh, the, the high-performing firms exist. They're the same for the small firm large firm, different firms, uh, there's a lot of commonalities there. Is there any differences that stand out to you in terms of small firm, large firm, that maybe are uh, variables worth talking about? Uh, you know, anything that... I think it's just, the, I mean, the larger firms are doing a lot more of it, and they mm. tend to have more specialized roles, so that's a very big difference. So whereas, uh, you know, a median-sized firm, you're wearing a lot of hats. There's much more specialization when you get into the other levels. So you might actually have someone who is that marketing officer or an HR person. I'll be talking to some tomorrow who are in that HR function. That's not typical. So there's a lot more specialization as you grow, but then also a lot of complexity because of multiple geographies and, you know, not, not 
operating around the lunch table together anymore in many cases as well. So you might be doing the same things, but the practicality of putting them into place becomes different as you grow, obviously. Yeah. And I think that notion of a sustainable growth yeah. uh, has been something that uh, has become more and more important in the yes. past year, 2022. When you look at like growth as being the success metric, is that always the best success metric to look at? I mean, could there be unhealthy growth, right? I mean, there could be growth that is too fast, too rapid. That's such a great question. I think for sure there can be. Um, organic growth, I think of as an imperative. So you should have healthy organic growth strips out that market performance. It lets you know how you're doing with your strategy in the marketplace, how well it's resonating. Especially when we start talking about M&A or inorganic growth, you can have some situations where you might be overpaying or doing a deal that's not actually a good idea for your firm uh, in terms of just doing a deal to do a deal. And that can create a lot of complexity or difficulty if you're trying to integrate or if you're not sure if you're going to integrate things. So When it comes to the inorganic growth conversation, we really like to see firms start by defining why they would want to participate either as a buyer or seller. And sometimes they don't know if they are a buyer or a seller. And get crystal clear on that. Don't start with who can you introduce me to, right? And don't start from a place of FOMO or fear of missing out. Start from a place of here's why this strategically makes sense because it takes a lot of time and energy to do it well. Uh, But you know, we do see that about 19% of firms have engaged in M&A in the past five years. 24% of firms have done an advisor who's joined with a book of business. And about half of firms say they're interested in M&A in the future, whether that's for growth, for capabilities, for talent, which is a big part of that conversation, um, or for succession. So those are some of the top reasons for that. I mean, you don't want to overpay. That's where that becomes... Or, or distract your business and the client experience. You've got to get clear in the beginning so that you do it well in that. And I mentioned that there's even compliance issues that could come into play when you start, you're onboarding a new firm every month, you know, as some of these larger RAs do. Uh, how do you keep up? You know? Some of them have done it so so many times they're exceptionally great at it. And yeah. really, we look at M&A as a three-part process. First, envision, so being clear on why you're doing it and what your M&A value proposition would be either as a buyer or a seller, prepare. So being really clear on what that due diligence process would look like, having some of your legal documentation, you know, in place like an LOI or NDA or whatever you're going to need to be ready with later and then connect. So then talking about what's my pitch, what's my story, what's going to make me stand out, who can I connect with? But those, that prepare phase, which is like really getting clear on, valuation and different pieces if you do it well it's not just about due diligence for risk it is about that but it's not just about that it's also about setting yourself up for success after the deal is done and i would say usually in the media we just hear about the deal we don't hear about the after the deal and that's where the complexity comes in so you want to be crystal clear on what you're getting so are we going to use the same systems? Are Am I going to retain my brand? Are our fee structures going to change? What about our investment philosophy? If you're crystal clear on that and how that's going to go, you can create a lot more stability for the joint employees later and opportunity for them and for clients because you've solved some of those issues before the, the ink is dry on the deal. Some firms will talk about uh, putting the rails in for growth in place long before yes. the actual growth takes place. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Um, and I imagine that requires an investment. That's 
So, you know, we see that. Uh, and significant time. So, it, you know, when we're working with firms, if they think they might want to participate in M&A and then they go through it and understand what it entails and they decide, actually, the next five years I'm going to focus on organic growth instead, that is a great outcome. You know, like we want you to spend energy on the things that are important to you as a business owner or a partner in your firm and not distract yourself with having all these lunches or whatever it's going to look like for five years if it's not going to go anywhere. So let's increase the clarity and decrease the amount of time that you're spending on all of that due diligence and everything else so that you can get to that outcome that actually is really what you want. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, I, I imagine that you say that 18% of firms have participated in M&A in the past. If you look at that top 20% or top 10% of growers, I imagine it's much higher. I mean, uh, we do see that it shows up in the growth rate, right? Yeah, like they yeah. do have more growth. Uh, per- productivity, interestingly, is about the same if you okay. do or don't participate. So that was kind of an interesting finding this year. Okay. Interesting. Well, uh, Lisa, this has been great. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, you know, thanks for having us here at the conference. And uh, congratulations on all the success here. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Good talking with you. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.